You're listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. Welcome to another episode of The 30 Podcast, brought to you by SilverScreenAndRoll.com. You can check out the website, Harrison Anthony Christian. The entire crew has you covered for everything Lakers, updated daily. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at LakersSBN. You can check me out at JazzKang21. Not a good road trip for the Lakers, going 1-3, and three, including losses to the Rockets, Wizards, and last night to old friend D'Angelo Russell in Brooklyn. Uh, the good news, though, sitting at 18-13, and 13, fourth in the West, Brandon Ingram, Rajon Rondo coming back soon. And, of course, they have the best player in the NBA, LeBron James, on their side. Joining me today, one of the best in the sports media industry, senior writer with ESPN, Brian Windhorst. Brian, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. No problem. So I got to ask, you grew up in Ohio. I'm sure you've been to L.A. a whole bunch of times through your work. Do you ever get used to sitting <laughs> yeah. in traffic like that? You know, I sort of have the L.A. thing figured out, knock on wood. When I come, I stay downtown the entire time. And uh, so I, I usually come uh, twice a month for three nights at a time. So I'm in, in town for like uh, eight days, six nights a month, if that makes sense. And, um, uh, you know, when I first started coming to LA 16, 17 years ago, you know, being in downtown, there's nothing here. I mean, I really do feel my age when I see LA Live being so vibrant because when I first started coming to the Staples Center, this was all gravel lots, not even paved lots. Like maybe some of them like broken you know broken asphalt but like i remember some of them were gravel lots and um so like it's amazing to be able to you know just sort of stay out of the traffic and um you know i, I you know sometimes go when i have meetings that i need to make with people i'll sometimes go to koreatown or go to the west side um but i sort of live a traffic-free la uh, lifestyle because my whole time usually here is basketball or working in the uh, LA uh, or LA offices. So, um, yeah, the traffic is bad. I, I know I see it from my hotel room. I watch the traffic uh, crawl to a halt every single day uh, on the 110. But uh, <laughs> I've, for the moment, I've got the system gamed. Well, you know what? You got it better than most people who probably lived here for, for for twenty years. It's funny you say that. I I moved uh, I moved from uh, Vancouver about a year and a half ago, and I live downtown only about a ten minute walk from Staples Center. And I have to go through that stretch of the one ten every single day. And I'm like, you know what? I, at points like that, I'm like, Canada is not a bad option compared to sitting here wasting half your day uh, waiting for people to get going. It, it's it's crazy how big it is here and how much uh, how many people are just consistently moving here. I think that's a big variable too. Yeah, and uh, although, you know, it's so – it's never been more vibrant from an NBA standpoint. Obviously, um, there's always been a lot of – you know, the, you know, L.A. has been an NBA hub for decades. Uh, but it has never been more relevant in the NBA. I mean, the, you know, it has become the absolute uh, capital of the league. I mean, I guess the league business, you could still say, works out of New York, but everything else happens in LA. It is certainly the player capital. It is absolutely the off-season capital, I guess, outside the two weeks of summer league. Um, so much uh, of what goes on here, you know, the major agencies are here. Um, you know, the players have so many um, uh, side uh, projects that are LA-based. Um, it has never been more relevant in the NBA landscape than it is now. And the fact that the Clippers have become uh, a much more, you know, desirable and relevant franchise has certainly helped. And especially, you know, if they get their wish and get their own building, you know, the concept of having two NBA buildings in the same city, we've, you know, obviously there's a little bit of that in New York, although it's not quite the same. 
Uh, Brooklyn is sort of its own different uh, land, but it would be it would be amazing to have two fu- fully functioning arenas, basically um, almost within sight of each other. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I mean, ever since Donald Sterling obviously was was basically banished from from the league. Yeah, I mean, the Clippers have become a desirable spot. And it's funny. I actually wanted to ask you this when you when you made the jump. Uh, to ESPN in 2010 to cover the Heat after LeBron had originally left Cleveland. How happy were you you got to spend half the season at least in the sunshine? (laughs) You know, I really didn't like personally living in Miami. Um, uh, I had a, you know, the the weather was amazing. But, you know, being from Ohio, uh, I don't let the weather define how I view a place. Um, I think I think some people just jump to that. Some people, that's like their biggest thing that they say, like about their city is, well, the weather is so great. Um, I don't really mind the winter that much. You know, I'm used to it. Um, I'm not saying that I get happy in the middle of a snowstorm. Don't get me wrong. But um, I per- I'm not taking a shot at the city of Miami. For me personally. I did not enjoy living in Miami. And uh, then I went and lived in New York City for a few years. Um, but uh, certainly the weather is great. And I, at that time, I was playing a lot of golf. And that was, you know, remarkable to have 15 straight days where it was 78 with not a cloud in the sky in uh, February was amazing. But um, it, overall, I didn't love the experience. No, that's that's interesting to hear because I'm I, like I said. I mean, as I mentioned, I'm from Canada and Vancouver. A little bit different weather, uh, lots of, very similar to Seattle in terms of climate. We get a lot of rain, so it's funny. Like being in LA, anytime we do get a little bit of a drizzle, everybody kind of shuts down. Is like, oh my god, the weather's so bad. I'm like, no, oh, boom, it feels great. I, I love it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do. Um, I do think it's comical the way what rain does to LA. But at the same time, whenever it's raining in LA, it's usually a good thing. It's always needed. So um, I'm happy to put up with the inconvenience um, when it happens. All right. As I mentioned, uh, after, off the top, Lakers not sitting uh, in too bad of a spot. I mean, they started off 0-3, now 18-13. and 13. Uh, When you look at how how LeBron has has kind of fit, especially with um, with this roster being very young, a mix of, of young and, and almost like afterthoughts with, with other teams, um, and along with Luke Walton, when you look at the Lakers as a whole, how what is your kind of – your perspective on what, where they've been from being 0-3 to where they're at now? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I would say the Lakers are exactly where I thought they would be. The way they got there was not what I expected. But, um, you know, I sort of projected them as a 44-48 to 48 win team. If things really went their way, maybe they could get to 50. If they had, you know, some bad times or some really severe injuries, maybe they would struggle to be around 500. But I sort of saw them as, you know, anywhere between a – uh, you know, a four and, and seven seed and, you know, in that range. And that's kind of where they're headed, maybe a slightly ahead of that. They're, they're really good at home and they've been kind of below average on the road, which is not unusual for a team of their talent level. And I sort of just, you know, I'm not surprised at all about where they are. They're going to have times where they're going to struggle. They're going to, they're going to have difficulty with consistency. I think, especially early in the season, because um, they just don't have any institutional knowledge together. It's still such a new team. Um, by NBA standards, absolutely. So um, I didn't, you know, I, I was really surprised the way they built this team uh, because it was not the prototypical LeBron James team. And, you know, I was there watching how long it took to figure out the way to play around LeBron. The Cavs, it took the Cavs, you know, they worked at it for seven years, were never able to get it. And it took the Heat kind of a year and a half to figure it out with great players and really smart management. 
and the you know the the team the way to play with LeBron was to was to clear the floor, uh, open the floor, put as many shooters around him as possible, and uh, let him play make and score and set up shooting. And um, I kind of don't like the the concept that they that the Cavs were somehow flawed in doing that. I mean, they went to four straight finals and won a championship and had Kyrie Irving not asked for a trade they had a fighting chance i think to win another one and so the concept to just throw that out and just say well we know how to do this better we're going to do it like this i was just like wow okay um i thought that the Cavs and he kind of knew what they were doing and i thought that they would that the that the lakers would try to benefit from their uh you know their their working knowledge and they just completely went the other direction did not get shooting and decided they were going to have all ball handlers and I just didn't think it made sense. But, you know, I've been wrong before. Uh, you know, I, I'm not the be-all, end-all. I could have been incorrect. But it doesn't. It didn't surprise me at all that the Lakers started playing much, much better when LeBron went back to what was comfortable, which was him being the playmaker, opening the floor. And it hasn't surprised me that they've played better since Rondo got hurt because it enables them to have more shooting, and even if it's a modicum of more shooting on the court. Um, because this is who LeBron is. He hasn't changed his stripes after 15 years in the league. So, like I said, I'm a little surprised how they got there. JaVale McGee has been much better than I thought he would be. I thought that I was a questionable signing, but that has been really good. Um, uh, some other guys they've signed, you know, Caldwell Pope being one of them, hasn't been as good as I thought they would be. Um, but all in all, I think they're I think they're okay. Um, uh, you know, they could have won a game that they lost or lost a game that they won here and there, but um, – uh, 18 and 13 is okay without all things considered. Yeah. And I, I've kind of noticed that too. I mean, I, I was under a similar mindset when they initially announced all the guys who were signing like Rondo and Lance Stevenson and, and JaVale and these guys. Um, I, I agree with you. I think McGee's look great playing with this, uh, with the way kind of things are set up. He showed flashes of it with the Warriors. Obviously you're not going to play him that much when you, when you're as deep as they were, but I mean, even at points where he was catching some of those lobs uh, in the final last year against Cleveland, he, he did a great job of that. Uh, so I think his game has been kind of um, buoyed by having, by having LeBron with him. Now, one of the guys I wanted to, to refer to or talk about, sorry, is, uh, is Brandon Ingram. A lot of talk about him before the season. He was kind of supposed to be the Robin to LeBron's Batman and make a leap playing with him. Uh, as you mentioned, he, he's one of those guys who, who needs the ball in his hand. He's not a great spot-up shooter. You can't just put him in the corner and hope he's going to be able to sit there and, and rain threes down. I mean, if you look at his numbers, and I get a lot of flack from Lakers fans when I talk about this, um, he's only averaging 15 points a game. His pie rating sitting just above seven. His usage rate is, is really, really high. Um, how do you think he's fit with LeBron specifically? Terrible. Oh, it's been awful. Um, so, you know, look, I did not watch a lot of Laker basketball the last couple of years. Um, I don't and think many I certainly, people outside of L.A., right? <laughs> right. You know, um, and I uh, I definitely was aware of how Ingram played in the second half of last year. Um, so when, when LeBron signed with the Lakers, I went to YouTube. And I can't even remember what the mix is. And I started watching some Brandon uh, Ingram highlights. And I noticed that all of his highlights were off like dribble drives and like ISO plays. Um, and granted, you know, this was, I want to be clear. I was, was a very unscientific method. I suppose I could have gone to second spectrum um, and looked up every single, you know, uh, you know, post up and every single left wing possession and every single right baseline possession on stuff. But I just remember looking at this video and going, boy, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't look like a guy who would play well with LeBron, but you know, I sort of, again, I just sort of shrugged and it's like, okay, we'll see. Um, but, you know, this was the scouting report on him, which is that he's a playmaker, 
for himself. He needs the ball in his hand. And so it's just not surprising. And I just, I just remember early on in the season, there was this one possession. You probably even remember the game that happened where, uh, you know, Ingram wanted to go out and, and, and receive a ball in a post-up position on the wing. And LeBron like waved him over to come set a screen or waved him over to space the floor. And Ingram kind of, um, like rolled his eyes and like sort of shrugged his shoulders upset because he was not used to that. And, um, you know, the, the thing I would say about if you look at LeBron's career, there have been certain teammates that he has played with where it's been phenomenal, where they have fit beautifully with him. Um, he has gotten those guys paid. He has gotten those guys rings in certain cases. Uh, and then there's been way more teammates that he's played with where it just didn't work. And uh, their skill sets didn't match, and what LeBron wanted didn't go with what he did. And right now, Ingram looks like he's in the latter camp. Now, it's not a character flaw or a character assassination. It's just that at age 33, about to be 34, with four MVPs and three titles and eight straight finals, LeBron isn't going to really be interested in, in subjugating his game. Now, in a vacuum, in a laboratory, you would say, well, wouldn't it be better? And this is kind of the point that Kobe and Magic have made. Wouldn't it be better to, you know, work with a system that would allow Brandon Ingram to be more successful um, so that he can help LeBron more, take stress off of him? And wouldn't it be terrific if they could learn to coexist where they both operate in a way that they could, they could thrive? Yes, absolutely. That would definitely be the goal. And certainly that's something Luke Walton has probably tried to do. But you know, life isn't in a laboratory, and LeBron is not used to yielding uh, to teammates. He is used to teammates yielding to him, and that's just a, a fact of life. And so, you know, we'll see. It's still very early. There's still very few games together. Not to the point where you would certainly make any assumptions, but um, not great. I don't think that's a surprising answer. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with you. I, I think he, where where Ingram, and I, I, again, I mean, he's only 21 years old. I think he can develop into being an all-star. I don't know if he's going to be a superstar, but he could be an all-star and make make uh, multiple appearances at the actual all-star game itself. But the the problem is, and I agree with you, it's just a clunky fit. Like he he needs the ball in his hand, and and I've talked about it before on some podcasts as well. Like you know what, bringing him off the bench and staggering the minutes between him and LeBron might be a good option for Luke once once Ingram's healthy and back in the lineup. Because right now it's like you look at a guy like Kyle Kuzma. He's been he's been the best fit of the, of the young guys, the three that especially Lakers fans were looking at and saying, hey Kuzma Ball and Ingram, you know they have a good young core there to to play with LeBron and to improve. But I mean you you look at Kuzma, he's good at reading the plays and making the backdoor cuts or, or you know knowing when to stay put on the three-point line and and Lonzo has had moments not not as many as as Kuz but um you know with Ingram I think he's gonna have to be that guy that the Lakers eventually if they decide to make a move and I ultimately think they will he's got to be the guy that goes because the way he fits um and in their half court set you know they run a lot of on ball screens and one four highs and they're a lot better on the break where I just don't see Ingram kind of having the offensive game and again I'm not slandering him as a player I just think with the Lakers this is LeBron's team obviously now and I just don't know if he's the best fit with this with this squad going forward for another four years yeah I would say you know that it took Dwayne Wade a season and a half give or take we're talking about a Hall of Fame player who was very giving um you know, basically the best case scenario, it took a year, a year and a half for Dwayne Wade to figure out how to work with LeBron. So now Brandon Ingram doesn't have max contracts like Dwayne Wade did. He doesn't have final MVP, finals MVP. He doesn't have, 
you know, the realization that he is a great player, he's still fighting for his, uh, his, you know, his piece of the league. He, he wants his contract. This is a very important year for him. So, you know, part of it is you're, you're asking him to make some sacrifices at a point in his career where he may not be interested in doing it. So we'll have to just, we'll have to just see. Um, right now it doesn't look so good, but I'm going to be honest with you. Like, there's a decent chance that within two years, you know, 95% of this roster is different. Like the 2020-21 Lakers, you may have one or two players that are still on this team. And that's just, again, that's not criticizing anybody in the league or in the team per se. It's just a reality. Half the team is signed to one-year contracts. The other half the team is young guys on rookie deals that uh, could easily be traded. Uh, I think that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, you're saying that in your opinion, the the team could be drastically different. Obviously, uh, two seasons from now, Alonzo Ball, uh, he's been a lightning rod really since he's been here. Thank God LeVar hasn't been talking that much this season. I don't know how much LeBron, LeBron had to do with that, but uh, Alonzo looked pretty good last night in the loss against the Nets. My guess is Alonzo had something to do with it. I don't know, but that's my guess. Yeah, well, it would have been good for him to actually stand up and say that because I thought it was becoming to a point that it's it's detrimental. You know what I mean? I mean, let your kid just play and, and do what he does. He's obviously a very good basketball player. And, you know, instead of adding the sideshow, I think it's good that Lavar's kind of shut up and, and, and let him be this year. But, uh, you know, like Lonzo, 23 points last night. Uh, still not showing total signs of reaching the potential a lot of Lakers fans were hoping for. I don't think he's, his game was ever going to be, you know, scoring 27, 28 and, and being overpowering on the offensive end. But I think he, he's a great guy to, if you can get the ball in his hand and he can kind of run the outlet and, and run the break, you know, not going to get to do that as much with, uh, with LeBron. But, you know, where, where do you, when you look at Lonzo so far in a, in a short time in the NBA, what is the biggest thing you think he needs to work on in order to kind of reach the potential or even justify his draft position? Well, I mean, I don't think this is uh, a shocking development. He know he he needs to work on his shot. I, he, he did a great job working on his body. I remember I was at his first uh, ever game with the Lakers, an exhibition game uh, last year, and I I'd seen him play in college. I went to an NCAA tournament game in Sacramento and watched him play in college, and uh, thought he had great feel for the game. Um, not that that's great insight, I know, but when he got out there with the actual NBA players, it like stunned me how overmatched physically he was. So he's done a really good job of working on his body. Now he's got to work on his shot. One thing that I, that I think has definitely improved is he is now, you know, he's now more willing to take the three. Like, um, you know, players, you know, players, you know, especially uh, guys like LeBron who are so cognizant of space will tell you that, you know, it's important to take the shot. Even if you don't always make it, you have to make the opposing team respect that you could take it. And that's why he's always encouraging guys. And I think Lonzo has done a good job of that. Um, you know, my evaluation of Lonzo is he is a good player and he's probably going to be a good player in the NBA for many years. Um, I don't know if he's a great player. Uh, and I think in all, I think with the Lakers, they had three consecutive number two picks. And if you look at the history of number two picks, there's a lot of misses there. It's certainly – I'm, you know, it's, it happens, but Hashim Thadid comes had, to mind, right? <laughs> oh, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a lot of them. Um, yeah. It would have been terrific if they had gotten one, if they had hit one star out of those three. And, um, you know, if you're a Brandon Ingram fan, you probably say, well, he is a star. And I go, well, you know, none of those number two picks, you know, and I'll include uh, DeAndre Russell in this, do I look at and see as a guy who can be a number two on a championship team? 
and that's kind of what your what your goal would have been here would have been you get the big dude in the free agency maybe even you get two big dudes in free agency but you would be able to get that number two in the draft and they just weren't able to do it if they had just gotten a Doncic or um you know a Jason Tatum yeah, or, Aaron Fox you know, is you know, looking good this year too now well right like if 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 Lonzo was having the kind of season that De'Aaron Fox was having, like you'd be like, "What?" I mean, just think, just think of how different the Lakers' outlook would be is if LeBron was playing alongside De'Aaron Fox right now. Um, and uh, you know, the draft is an inexact science, but just think of that. And that's, yeah. that's what they really—that's what they really, really needed to do, and they just didn't do it. And um, you know, they're gonna have to dig themselves out of that hole and. Agency is a is a certainly a thing that can create they can cover up a lot of things and maybe they will but that is you know in fairness I think that you know they they didn't maximize that opportunity. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I think the the biggest thing that they they messed up on with that was not being able to just get somebody else who I mean because I think this was the plan for for I don't want to say for for Jim Bus at the time when he was kind of gone and and um, you know they bought in Magic and Rob Palinka but. You know, I think they knew that they were going to go with LeBron. And at that time, I mean, I remember that the press conference, um, you know, Magic Johnson was saying Lonzo was going to break all my records and, and do this and that. And I, I didn't agree. You know, I didn't like the fact that he said that um, and putting the spot on Lonzo because the expectations got raised for him. But like you said, I, I think he has a great feel for the game um, and, and just the way he sees it. But it, it's a, it's a, again, he's playing with uh, with LeBron. Um, who has the ball in his hand a lot of the time, and that's where Lonzo's at his best. You know, his three-point shot, uh, like you said, he at least he's taking it and he's not hesitating to, to shoot it, but he's got to get in the gym and, and work on that. And you'll see guys, you know, do that, like like Ben Simmons, who needs to start adding that dimension to his game. Now, you, you talked about, you know, moving into free agency. Um, I read your piece this morning on ESPN.com. Uh, you, you, you had put a piece in there, or a portion in there, pardon me, uh, from your colleague Dave McMiniman when he was saying that um, – talking to LeBron about trading potentially for Anthony Davis. And LeBron said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that would be amazing. Uh, it would be incredible. Now, you you mentioned a little, little bit later down, you can check it out on, on ESPN.com if you, if you missed it. But uh, you mentioned that was kind of a calculated move by him. Uh, was he just trying to put a feeler out there just to say, hey, you know what, we're, we're trying and, and AD come on over here? Or like, why, did you, why did you feel that was a calculated move? You have to frame this to completely understand it. And I know that it sounds complex and I don't deny that, but you know, sometimes players can be asked things in scrums and put into difficult positions. Um, uh, and LeBron is generally open and he's very available in media. Uh, he's one of the most available uh, star players in American sports history, to be honest with you. This was not that. This did not come from a scrum where somebody said, "Hey, would you like to play with Anthony Davis?" Um, and because again, you know, like I could, you know, you know, I could walk up to LeBron and said, "Hey, would you like to would you like to play with an in your prime Michael Jordan?" Uh, yes, I would like to. Thank you. <laughs> you know, like you know, like I said. So, but this did not come from a scrum. This came from a, a, a another conversation where it was like, "Hey, um, can we put this on the record?" Yes, you can. And that is the, all the difference in the world because LeBron is extraordinarily aware of what, what he would – when, when, when I saw that quote come across our internal email system, I knew that the rest of this week was going to be an Anthony Davis Lakers week. And LeBron knew exactly what he was doing. 
And so now, what is what did he do to? Why was why did he do it? Well, I can, that I can't give you the answer. I can make some educated guesses, but he did it for a reason, and um, he's he's getting what he wants at least in the short term. Um, and so that's why the the way the quote happened is is more relevant. I think it's important to point that out um, that he wanted it out there. He he was not just answering a question. So um, you know, I think it's a pretty the David situation is pretty dynamic in as much as we've seen this happen before. We saw it happen with Kawhi last year. Um, a player's contract doesn't mean that he's betrothed the team for that long. The player can can step forward and, and ask for a trade. And, um, you know, we may be getting there, but there is usually a long journey to get to that spot. Uh, it certainly was with Paul George. <clears throat> Excuse me. It certainly was with, um, you know, Kawhi Leonard. And it probably will be with Anthony Davis. And it's a li- I think it's a little bit too early to really get into it, but LeBron brought it up. And so therefore uh, I thought it was responsible for me to discuss the reality of it. And to be honest with you, um, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I've been having conversations with people in the league about this for a long time. So when LeBron said that, and I saw it on my flight to LA last night, uh, I was ready to write that story because I, I had done a lot of thinking about the machinations of this, as I'm sure those people in the Lakers front office and the Celtics front office and the Pelicans front office had as well. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned Paul George there and, and, you know, as it got a little bit later or more into, uh, into the piece that you had written, I mean, you also mentioned Davis hasn't given really an indication he wants out of uh, New Orleans, even though the Pelicans are struggling to surround him with a championship talent. Um, and, but he is available to sign that Supermax, So he's going to have to decide, you know, is he going to make up, take the money or, or stay somewhere where he may not be able to win? I think Dell Demps has been, uh, hasn't been a great GM. I don't think he's been terrible overall, but I mean, he got lucked into Anthony Davis and kind of building the team around him. He, he's failed at that regard, but, uh, getting back to Paul George. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember the summer of 2017 where, you know, the Lakers were like, oh, you know, we'll take the, the patient approach and, or before then, you know, that. Uh, he'll want to come to L.A. and all the indications said that. And then obviously once, you know, OKC beat them to the punch and and was able to was able to acquire Paul George and sign him to the extension. Uh, how much of a you know, how much is that? Do you think that Magic Johnson and Rob Plink are looking at like that? Man, maybe we should make a move on this guy sooner than later, because, uh, again, another thing you mentioned, and there's all the assets Boston has in terms of picks and, and young players, um, they could definitely beat them to the punch. So do you think Magic Johnson and Rob Plink are, are, are looking at this and might start, you know, packaging or, or coming up with some ideas on what they could package to get Anthony Davis as we get closer to the trade deadline in February? Oh, I would have assumed that they would have done that months ago that they would have had this on their radar and been discussing this scenario months ago. Uh, a prudent and prepared front office would absolutely have done that. Um, you know, not just Anthony Davis, probably other players that they would might target as well. I mean, that's what you do. That's part of what Rob Polenka's job is, is to, <coughs> is to prepare for those scenarios. Um, so, um, you know, I think the Anthony Davis situation is a little bit more complicated because, you know, he, 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 there's, there's some, some things that have to happen first that the Lakers cannot control. And it, by the way, when it comes to the whole Paul George thing, like them taking that position was not unreasonable. Like it was not unreasonable for them to think that they could get Paul George without, you know, in free agency without having to trade. The only reason the Kawhi thing was a little bit different was because you then had LeBron James. And you knew that LeBron was turning 34 and that, you know, your 
<laughs> excuse me, your time with him in you know in the sun would be somewhat limited. And I think that you know when when the Paul George thing happened, they were still they still had no idea what their team was going to look like. Um, but you know Kawhi would have been a one year rental, and it would have been it would have been kind of dangerous. Um, I don't think it would have been the end of the world because even if Kawhi walks, you have salary cap space, and that's not the end of the world. But um, the Kawhi decision was a lot different than the Paul George decision because of the LeBron factor. Um, and I just I just think that the you know it, it, there, there's a home run scenario that exists. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, there's a home run scenario that exists where the Lakers like let me just give you a scenario that I don't think is likely but could happen. So the Lakers have you know 35 million in cap space or whatever the number is right now. If they could somehow trade their young players, um, <coughs> excuse me, for, um, for Anthony Davis. Um, and then, then they would have the cap space left over. And let's say this is a total hypothetical. I'm not saying this would happen, but let's say they could use their cap space, you know, maybe trade a couple of draft picks and trade for John Wall. Um, mm. You know, if the, if the Wizards, if the Wizards wanted to do a rebuild, um, you know, I, I always think about the Joe Johnson trade. If you watch the Joe Johnson trade uh, years ago, uh, he had a huge contract. You know, the Hawks were good but not great. Joe Johnson was their franchise player. And they made a trade with the Nets where they basically got, I think, one first-round pick, a pick swap, and all expiring contracts because they just knew that they had to rebuild um, and they needed to get rid of Joe Johnson to do that. And by the way, like, Two and a half years later, they or something like that, they had a 60-win team. Um, you know, I could see a potential trade like that happening. Now, again, this is a pie in the sky, you know, situation that would have to develop. But that's a way that they would, you know, potentially be able to get two star players without signing anybody. Um, and and, and the, what I'm saying here is, is this is the kind of discussions that the Lakers, I assume, are having in their front office. Like what if what if we do A, B, and C? What if X doesn't happen, so we do Y? Like you know, you know, Luke Walton is coaching the team every day. He's running the team through practice. He's preparing them. He's reviewing scouting reports. Now this is what Rob Palinka should be doing, especially with where the Lakers are going, and I'm sure that he is. Yeah, I just want to I just want to reaffirm that you're saying this could happen, and it's a pie in the sky because Lakers fans, some of them who are listening to it, are going to go off and sit there and say, "Hey, you know what? Uh, Brian Windhor said that they're going to get John Wall and and all these other guys." So just to make sure, oh no, man, saying, this, now this you, now you now you now you put me into uh now you put me into a mood. Yeah, I'm not saying that that will happen. Yes, I'm just saying that if you if you're talking about like the dream situation, that's what you could happen. You know what the other end of the spectrum is? Hmm. The other end of the spectrum is they don't get any of the top three agents. They can't trade for Anthony Davis because he either wants to stay in New Orleans or he's traded somewhere else. And they're they're left like, you know, putting in max contract offers for like Chris Middleton. Uh not that there's anything wrong with Chris Middleton, but I don't think adding Chris Middleton makes the Lakers a championship team. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I look at that. I look at that as well. Like, you know, you have the big fish coming up uh, this offseason. Kevin Durant, Kawhi, of course, Jimmy Butler, Clay. Uh, second tier, you have a guy like Kemba Walker. And, and you know, I've had that discussion with a lot of people as well. Like, OK, if they miss out on on a on a KD, on a Kawhi, on a Butler, uh, on a Clay, 
you know, would would Kemba Walker make sense? And I, I don't think he would. I think Kemba Walker is, again, a very good player. I don't think he, you're going to win a championship with him, you know, next to LeBron as your two best players. Um, how much of an effect do you think that that is going to have going forward as well? Like if, if they do, if you had to pick out of Durant, Kawhi, and I'm saying again, hypothetically, of course, uh, which one of those guys, the big fish, do you think has the, the most potential to, to sign here in the offseason? I don't like any of their chances right now. Hmm. Uh, that's one of the reasons why LeBron might be bringing up Anthony Davis. But the thing I would say about free agency, and my God, did I say this till I was blue in the face in Miami and then in Cleveland over the years. You really open yourself up to be made a fool of when you start making assumptions about free agency, especially at this point in the calendar. Um, and, and NBA free agency is like an NBA game. You would never look at an NBA game in the second quarter, which is about where we are in the season. And I don't care if it's a 28-point game. You would never say that game was over. Never. Uh, the NBA game is just not built that way. I mean, there's 20-point games in the fourth quarter that aren't over. So, you know, people who make assumptions or, you know, try, try to handicap free agency like an ironclad way, like, oh, if A happens, then D. If C happens, then D. Um, I just, I think you're ripe to be, um, you know, you're ripe to be, uh, you know, you know, be dead wrong. So the only thing that really matters in free agency is where everything is when you get to like mid to late June. And so like right now, if free agency started in three days, I would, I wouldn't be sure the Lakers could get any of these guys. Um, one of the things that is working against them a little bit is the top, top free agents. Uh, they, they have championships. They have rings. Um, and so one of the reasons why you'd come to play with LeBron would be to play for a ring. And, um, you know, Durant has them. Uh, Clay has them. Kawhi has one. Uh, not that they don't want more. And not only that, but they could stay with their teams, get paid more money, and be championship contenders. I mean, you think the Warriors are not going to be a championship contender next year? I mean, the, even if, if, they're, if Kawhi resigns with the Raptors, for sure. And even if you look at a guy like Jimmy Butler, that they're a contender and he would be able to get five years. Um, so, you know, I just, I don't think the Lakers are in the greatest position um, to get these guys. But again, that doesn't mean anything in December. You would really have to, you would really have to look, um, you know, really wait and see how the whole thing plays out before you could make any assumptions. Yeah, there could be a lot of lot of disappointed fans in the offseason, especially like you mentioned. Like these guys have have good situations where they are now. It's not like uh, Paul George playing in in you know in Indy with the Pacers, thinking uh, you know we're at best maybe a second round team, and, and that's as far as we're going to go. Like like you said, these guys have championship potential for the next you know few years at least so they might not want to mess up a good thing um you know the lakers i, I look at them like lebron they got a four-year championship window uh, really having them here for sure and and they have to build off that but uh, you know if if they do if they do strike out worst case scenario they're, they're not able to sign any of these guys they're not able to to make a big fish like do you think lebron's patience is going to start wearing thin as this goes along or do you think he knew what he was getting into and, and he knows the potential that they might not be able to add that second guy LeBron's patience is already wearing thin. <laughs> it's the nature of LeBron. He wants to win every game. You know, he's he's one of the most intense competitors you'll ever find. And, you know, one of the things that I, I've just noticed is that the Lakers don't know LeBron yet. You know, in a year from now, they will know him better, but they just don't know him. And, you know, that's why, like, some of the things that Magic and Kobe have said, again, they make sense 
you know, in some sort of vacuum, but they do not make sense if you know LeBron. Um, like LeBron is going to take control of the team and run the team. Like, and if you think that you're going to get him to stand over and space the floor or subjugate, you just don't know him, you know? And so one of the things that you have to know about LeBron is just because he says something in July doesn't mean he's going to feel that way in December. Um, and I've definitely seen the Lakers begin to learn that lesson this year. Um, it's, it's been, I, I sort of watch sort of back with a smile because, you know, I have the advantage of knowing him for 20 years. Um, you know, I don't know Kobe Bryant as well as Laker fans do. I may, you know, if we got into a, a, a you know, test on who knows guys better, I'd probably embarrass myself trying to make assumptions about Kobe. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that I'm enjoying watching the process. But one of the things about LeBron is that he's never patient. He he always, always, always wants to win. And you don't get to eight straight finals. Um, and not only that, but if you look at some of the things that happened during those years, um, you know, the Cavs turned over their team several times uh, in the middle of seasons when LeBron was basically like, yeah, we, we you know, we don't have enough. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that's who LeBron is. Um, doesn't mean you always have to listen to him. You know, he is, you know, and that's the thing. People make assumptions on like LeBron ordering things. LeBron's never black and white when it comes to like where he is on a decision. He'll just, he'll say stuff like, yeah, I'd love to play with Carmelo Anthony. Um, LeBron, are you telling us to sign Carmelo Anthony? No, I'm just saying, uh, <laughs> nice to play with them. You know, that's just, look, that's part of having LeBron, like, you know, doing that stuff and, and living that way is part of having LeBron. Yeah, he, he seems like, I mean, uh, with those Cavs teams, especially the, the second stint, um, because I, I think the first time, you know, like you mentioned, he was seven years in and I think really finding himself as, as not only as a player, but, but as a person too. And, and now he know, you know, he knew, and he really is the guy who pioneered, like the players have the power as well over the owners and, you know, the, the movement and, and you're seeing the guys kind of dictating, uh, you mentioned Kawhi getting out of the contract, not getting out of the contract, but saying, Hey, I don't have to stay with you guys if I, if I don't want to. And he pioneered that, like, and it was funny. I actually thought about this today. Um, before I started talking to you, but like looking back at that, that 2016 win, I mean, the improbable comeback they had against the, the 73 and nine warriors in 2016, you know, going, if, if they didn't win that championship, was there any chance he would have stayed in Cleveland? Do you think, or was it like LA was going to be the spot or is that one of the things like you mentioned, you don't, you didn't know with LeBron, it just kind of, he went back and yeah. forth and, and where he decided was LA. That's the thing, you know, like in 2010, you know, that Cavs team was not a, probably a championship team. The Lakers uh, in 2009 and 10, I think, I think the Lakers kind of owned the Cavs during the regular season. Um, but, you know, they were 60 win teams, you know, he uh, won the first round four one. And then in the second round, uh, they were up one Oh on Boston. He wins the MVP between games one and two. He, they have the MVP ceremony in Akron, and he does nothing but give out Valentine's to his hometown. <clears throat> and if you were sitting in that MVP ceremony that day, and and you were and you were said LeBron is not going to be with this team in a month, you'd have said you're out of your mind. You're a fool. I'll take all the money in your wallet. They lose, you know, in that series. They lose four of the next five games, and they're done. And he's gone from Cleveland. You know, in Miami, 2014, it's one-one in the finals, and the Heat are going home. <laughs> and the game that they lost in San Antonio was the cramp game where they got to 100 degrees in there and he cramped up and they 
they might have won that game. They they were maybe a cramp gate away from being up 2-0. The late, you know, the the Heat were the two-time defending champs. They had already beaten San Antonio. Um, you wouldn't have said that. Oh my God, the Heat are going to lose the next three games, and LeBron's going to be done. I mean, things just they change very fast, and especially with LeBron. Like you know, I I think it was pretty clear that this Cavs team last year wasn't going to. Uh, wasn't going to win at all, but you know, stranger things have happened. Yeah, when he when he made that when he made that move in in 2010 to Miami, and I, I was younger at the time too, and and I looked at it and I was like, wow, how could you do that? You know, that's your team. You should have won one at least. If you won one with Cleveland, um, you know, you would have been a legend forever. Never mind going to chase championships. But as I got older, I'm like, you know what? He's doing what he has to do for himself, which what any of us would do in that situation. Now you look at it, it. It's entirely a business, and and he's been great at it. And you know, outside of the Jordan brand, you know, with, with Michael Jordan, obviously, uh, I, I think um, LeBron has has kind of maximized everything he can do. And he said, "Hey, if people are going to make money off of me and and try and dictate what I do, I, that's not going to happen." You know what I mean? And I, I I applaud him for for being able to put his foot down and say, "I'm dictating what the way I want to do things because I really." And you can't argue this in, in the NBA terms. He he's the man. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, if you look at his career, he would say, man, six finals losses. Um, that's rough, you know, but I've, you know, it's, it's wor- you know, that, um, that, uh, that title against Golden State is worth more than one. I don't know how to quantify it. It's worth something more than one um, to, have, to have won that game. Uh, or to have to won that series is worth something more than one. And even last year, getting to the the title with everything that was going on with that Cavs team, winning two game sevens um, in the playoffs, um, you know, granted, yeah, Boston was missing two of their best players. They still won a game seven on the road in Boston, the conference finals. How many times has that happened in NBA history? You know, um, it's, um, you know, it was worth something more than many of those other East East titles, you know, I don't know how to quantify it, um, but you know, when they when you look at his legacy, it's hard to to find that. You know, there are there are people who are just going to count, and they're going to say, well, you know, Kobe had five, and LeBron has three, and Kobe didn't lose six finals, and uh, you know, Kobe is superior. And there and there are people who, if if if, if you just want to play the counting game, you know, I guess that where it is you just sort of leave it at that yet there's really no way to have a discussion if you want to look at the actual accomplishments and sort of break down the nuance um you know getting to the final eight straight years under all the circumstances and switching teams and rebuilding and <clears throat> going through all this drama and, and fighting and all and coaching changes and and all that stuff i mean it's been an incredible ride and uh i think he you know, he, he they they lost the title. He should have won the title in 2011, I think. Um, not to take anything away from the uh, from the from the Mavericks, they took it from him. But that was a year where he was maybe on the better team where he didn't win. Um, and then in 2016, when they he sort of got it back because the the Warriors were the better team, they sort of stole it from him. So it was kind of even. He 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 won one he shouldn't have, and he lost one he shouldn't have. If you look at the other finals, he was on the inferior team. Uh, he's been swept twice, and I don't think uh, that's much of a – it wasn't close. And uh, the one year he lost uh, 4-2 to the Warriors, um, uh, you know, he was missing their second and third best players. 
uh, Kyrie and Kevin Love. And, uh, you know, two years ago when they lost 4-1 in the finals, um, you know, they had lost Kyrie Irving and, uh, the, you know, the Warriors had picked up Kevin Durant. I mean, talk about, <laughs> you know, it was skin tight the year before, won seven games, one team adds Durant, the other team loses Irving. Geez, what do you think? You know? Yeah, that's so, a major, major I mean, swing there. Uh, I mean, again, well, I could go on and on about this, but, um, you know, I, I think he regrets the fact that he has those six losses. He can't run from them. He's not going to end up probably with a winning record in the finals, but um, there's something to be said for getting there nine times in uh, what, like a uh, 11 year span. That's, you know, 12 year span. It's pretty good. Yeah. If you're carrying Booby Gibson and, and those guys, <laughs> those guys are starting and playing meaningful minutes on your team and you're getting them to a final, you, you've obviously done something right. Um, I think it's great. He's here in LA, the NBA always better when, when the Lakers are relevant uh, before we wrap sure. up. Just what, yeah. Sure. I mean, it's it, when the, when the Lakers are, 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 are good or, are you know, just in the spotlight, the, it's the entire so league benefits. To be at, uh, it's so much more fun to be at Staples now. Are you noticing uh, a big Staples difference is, in the mood? Oh, God. Staples is alive again. It's fantastic. There's, I mean, I remember coming to, the, to my first Lakers game in 2003. You know, they were, you know, they were past their, their three-peat, but, uh, you know, they had Shaq, Kobe, Carl Malone, and Gary Payton. You know, I Love L.A. was playing, you know, Lawrence Cantor. Laker girls, the who was playing in the, you know, the uh, uh, pregame introductions, Jack Nicholson. Um, I was goosebumps, my first ever Lakers game. And that was LeBron's first ever Lakers game. Well, that's not true. He came when he was a teenager. But, um, you know, I got a feel that when LeBron came to his first Lakers game, he was like, wow, this is something different. Um and uh, it wouldn't just wouldn't surprise me that it, the first time he ever played, the first time he ever came and played in Staples, he was like, "Wow, this would be an amazing place to be in a plant of the seed." Um, and so, the NBA is absolutely a better place when the Lakers are thriving and relevant and stuff like that. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, um, you know, watching NBA and NBC, you know, the Great Western Forum. I didn't know Great Western was a bank. I just thought that was the name of the like. It was just. You know what? I'm just Western I'm form. just learning that now. So thanks, thanks, thanks for telling me. Yeah. I thought I thought it was just the Great Western yeah. Forum too. Yeah, I know. I mean, I just thought it was like, oh my gosh, it's this really cool building out in L.A. and it's, um, you know, they would show these outside shots and it would be sunny and beautiful, palm trees. I mean, you know, the the, the NBA was made to be great in Los Angeles. And I mean, I realize I'm on a Laker uh, centric site here, but I, I mean, if you know anything about me. I don't pull my punches or play to the crowd. Um, it's one of the reasons why a lot of fan bases don't like me. But uh, the NBA is a much better place when the Lakers are great. It's a much better place when the Knicks are great, too. Um, the, the fact that the league has done so well, uh, TV ratings-wise and overall, over the last couple of years with the Lakers being irrelevant and the Knicks being terrible uh, is you know, just an indication of how popular the league is. Because if the Lakers, Knicks, and Celtics were, were were all flying and we're getting closer to that. Uh, the league would be, you know, much more vibrant. Oh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm waiting for the for the Knicks to be better. I remember, I mean, I grew up in the '90s when those NBA on NBC days where the Bulls were playing the Knicks at MSG. And uh, if you if you're too young to remember that, I'm telling you, go back, check out something on YouTube, find something. I'm sure there's everything online because that was to me when when basketball. I, I fell in love with the sport. I mean, watching you know, then you'd have the Sonics and Jazz in the in the afternoon and. The triple headers were just were awesome. It was like it was like a football Sunday, but with basketball. Yeah, I just um, you know Marv Albert, 
you know, NBA on NBC and, um, you know, you know, I, the first time I watched the finals, it was, you know, magic versus Larry. I mean, in the eighties, I was a really young kid, but that's my first, my first memory. So, uh, I'd love to see that happen again. It would be awesome if, uh, the Lakers could play the Celtics in the finals and it would be LeBron versus Kyrie. That would be awesome to watch. Yeah, and, and you know what? The, I, I, I agree with you. I think when, when the, where when when the big teams are great that that's when the game is thriving so uh hopefully the lakers can can make a couple of moves to get themselves up into contention i don't see it obviously happening this year but uh in the future i mean they're going to have the opportunity to make moves and like you said you're just going to have to see where, where things lie in the summer now before we wrap up wanted to ask you a few questions uh short answers first thing that comes to mind best nba player to interview and sit down and talk to mm. Mm, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I um, yeah, I have to think about that. Uh, I loved talking to David West. Uh, he was sometimes got a little long with and philosophical. I loved talking to Roy Hibbert before he went into a shell. Uh, when I covered the uh, the Pacers and Heat battles for years, they played in the playoffs three years in a row i loved covering that pacers team going into that locker room talking to roy and uh david west and uh lance <laughs> never know what lance would say uh lance came to a post-game press conference one time in his underwear that was remarkable <laughs> i called like i like on the podium luckily the uh the uh, pr guy grabbed him and threw a threw a shirt and shorts on him but um uh yeah but you know those two guys would be right up there uh, funniest players you've, you've covered just always humorous having a good time or, or make you laugh while, while you're in the locker room obviously off the record and just kind of shooting the shooting the shit with them and, and sitting around having a good time boy again you're making me think on this um, <laughs> uh you know lebron's pretty funny lebron's pretty funny when the cameras aren't rolling he said some things over the years that are <laughs> that are pretty good i wish i could tell you but i can't all right. Well, you know what? I, 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 I think LeBron's got a great personality. I mean, even watching his show, The Shop and everything, it, it's cool to see, um, you know, that side of an athlete. You never got to see that of Michael Jordan. You certainly didn't get to see that out of Kobe during his time. Um, so I, I would agree with you. I yeah, think, not I think a lot of, not a lot of laughs. Not a lot of laughs on, in the Kobe locker room. Uh, no. Didn't really, didn't really go that way, yeah. No, it doesn't seem like he, he was the best. Uh, great basketball player, in my opinion, not a great teammate to, to be around. Um, another thing I want to ask you about: you've been, you know, you've been in the in the industry now for for the better part almost of, of twenty years. What, what do you think is the best part of your job in getting to do this on a daily basis? Well, I mean, it's basketball, you know, and uh, we travel around the league on someone else's dime. Travel around, you know, uh, get to spend, you know, the last four years. Um, the finals. It's like the, the finals have been taking place in San Francisco half the time. You know, I, I've gotten to know San Francisco very, very well. I mean, that's an incredible bonus. I've gone to Japan to cover uh, games. I've gone to Brazil to cover games. I mean, I've gone all around the world. I mean, it's tremendous. It's and it's not. You know, what we're doing is kind of. I mean, it's journalism in name only. But you know, we're not out there risking our lives in Afghanistan. You know, it's, you know, we're not risking our lives, you know, uh, you know, risking, you know, terrible things happening to you by uncovering stuff. I mean, we're, we're, we're in the toy department. Um, so 
Which is not uh, a bad department to be in, right? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean that, you know, there's there's a lot of pressure, you know, and uh, there's, there's there's downsides to it. Don't get me wrong. But, um, I mean, come on. We, you know, we we go to basketball arenas, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's true. You know, everybody who's, who's attached to the NBA, um, we're all sort of cheating life. Uh, does, you know, we have bad days, you know, don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, we, 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 we you know, the, the players, everybody who's in the NBA, every player is, uh, beyond, you know, fortunate, you know, there really shouldn't be anything to seriously complain about. And then certainly those of us who cover the league in a lot of cases, not everybody, but in a lot of cases are, are pretty well taken care of. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. Like I, I covered the Vancouver Canucks back home for, for Roger Sportsnet. And, um, I remember the first time I, I got to go into the locker room, I saw like Henrik Sedin standing there and I was just like, Oh my God, that, that's Henrik, that's Henrik Sedin. I had to, I had to like eliminate the, the fan, you know, the fan in me and be like, all right, you're here to do your job. When, when you first started getting rolling into, into NBA arenas, uh, do you remember what your first thought was like, or were you a little bit timid or were you just like, Hey, I'm here to do my job and, I, and I'm going to focus on, on, on the task at hand. Well, that's one thing that does get driven out of you is, um, you know, you really, uh, you lose your fandom when you cover a team, when it's your business. Um, you know, you lose your, you, you know, you, you, that, that goes away pretty quick. And um, um, I, I, it's, it's just a fortunate job to have. Um, but in terms of relating to the players and stuff like that, you know, if you're good at your job, you get over that pretty quickly. Um but um, I so I you know that was the thing like I I don't uh, you know I don't really enjoy games that much. Um, it doesn't really matter to me uh, who wins and loses. I sort of um, I sometimes just enjoy, I sometimes enjoy chaos. I just smile when crazy stuff happens. Um, like for example, um, while we're talking, the Pacers and and Raptors just had a very uh, controversial end to the game on a foul, no foul call. And um, I just said, well, that'll be a fun thing to talk about tomorrow. On <laughs> um, you know, it, I, I don't, you know, it, it drives the passion out of you. So I, I, I am happy for fans when players win. Like I was, I was happy for LeBron when he won his first title. I was certainly happy for Cleveland um, when, uh, when LeBron won the, uh, the 2016 championship. That was a cool thing for that city. And it's home for me. So a lot of my friends and family enjoyed it. But in all honesty, it does not change my day who wins or loses. And I know that people who are diehard fans can't see that. But um, that's just what happens when you get into this game. That's, uh, that's, that's the nature of the business. So that part, you know, if you know, you will, you will lose that part. And uh, um there, there are there are not many people who cover this league who are giant quote unquote fans of the league. But you know those you know for me, uh, it's what I do. I mean my expertise is in the NBA. I spend um, you know thousands of hours a year uh, working on getting it. And but it is very much of a profession. It's not. It is not to. It is not the type of job you go into to, to be a fan. In. Yeah, and you gotta you gotta have a thick skin, thick skin doing it because a lot of people out there who, and especially now in the social media world, just they don't understand that. You know what I mean? They oh, you know, they, they think it's like a personal vendetta. It's like no, you're you're just telling them what you see, and and in your opinion and your expert opinion, really being around the game for that long, or you're relaying information that you have at hand. So don't take things out on Brian Windhorst, okay? He's just doing his job. 
Yeah, people can do whatever they want. I honestly don't care. You don't care. <laughs> yeah. don't that's care. the best way to handle it. Well, you know what? That's why That's why you're one of the best in the business. Brian, I, I know you're a busy man. Thanks again for taking the uh, time out to come on the podcast. All right. Appreciate it. And I uh, hope the Lakers uh, fans enjoy the rest of the season. Perfect. Thank you. That's uh, ESPN senior writer Brian Windhorst. You can check him out on Twitter at Windhorst ESPN. Don't forget to follow us as well at Lakers SBN. Subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll podcast, iTunes, Google Podcasts, pretty much all anywhere. And don't forget, check out the website, silverscreenandroll.com, updated every day with everything Lakers. Uh, no episode next week. I'm heading home for the holidays. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, have a good time with your families, and I'll talk to you in the new year.